0: I'M RACHEL ANN GOODMAN. HI, JOE. NICE TO HAVE YOU ALONG FOR THE RIDE ON THIS SECOND VERSION OF PLANET WATCH.
1: ANOTHER TRIP AROUND THE SUN.
0: THAT'S RIGHT. EVEN THOUGH WE CAN'T SEE THE SUN HERE IN CALIFORNIA. COMING UP THIS HOUR, AN INTERVIEW WITH OCEAN ENERGY SCIENTIST, Alan MILLER. Can we cool the Earth by bringing up cold water from the depths of the ocean? We'll explore that and more solutions to the big problems of our Earth coming up this hour on Planet Watch. And in the show, uh, we'll be cutting-edge science. What else, Joe?
1: Well, things like climate chaos, clean energy innovations, and new discoveries and phenomena that are just kind of fun to contemplate. WE AIM TO FOCUS ON SOLUTIONS, THE WHAT DO WE DO NOW PIECE OF THE SCIENCE EQUATION. In a world of all kinds of obfuscation and confusion about what's factual, we'll also hope to be the fact checking truth squad for odd claims and strange notions. So we can start by saying unequivocally that the earth orbits the sun and not vice versa. So yeah, yeah, we'll have some (laughs) cosmic relief.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And we will, yes, no alternative fact universe in this room. (laughs) We will be just doing the regular old facts. And uh, to that note, we always start out with a news roundup on the show And, Joe, I think you have the first story on some interesting news of the weird and wacky and scientific.
1: Well, actually, this is the scientific uh, and technological and kind of like progress with uh, humanity. (laughs) The IEA, the International Energy Agency, which tends to be rather conservative, they have a new report that there are now roughly half a million solar panels, and I'm talking solar electric, i.e., PV, which is short for photovoltaic, you know, light to electricity, photo for light, volts like an electricity. Those, half a million of those are installed now worldwide every day. There are also two new large wind turbines installed every hour in China alone. <laughs> Our new president in his inaugural address mentioned embracing tomorrow's energy sources but oil which was created many tens of millions of years ago sun and wind however keep on coming now and beyond and free it's not free to harness them but the resource itself is free and abundant so anyway there you go for that one
0: Okay, and my uh, next one is researchers at Bingham University in New York have created a bacteria-powered battery on a single sheet of paper that can power disposable electronics. Now the word disposable electronics might alarm you and it alarms me, but let's just focus on the battery for a moment. Um, To say that uh, the manufacturing technique reduces fabrication, time and cost, and the design could revolutionize the use of bio batteries as a power source in remote, dangerous and resource limited areas. And I assume it also means you wouldn't be mining other rare metals in the creation of batteries. So that's pretty good news. Tommy, our intern, is here with us as well. Let's introduce mm-hmm. Tommy Martin. Thanks for being here with us and helping with the show.
2: Hey, Rachel. Yeah, got a story for us, too. Uh, Science Daily reports that 2016 was the hottest, rec- hottest year on record, going back to the beginning of global temperature records in 1880. Uh, according to NOAA's National Center for Environmental Information, 2016 was 1.69 degrees Fahrenheit above the 20th century average making this the third consecutive year setting the record. If global temperatures continue to rise, uh, the Potsdam Institute for Climate Impact Research says the United States faces big drops in harvest of major food corp- crops <laughs> by 2100, which may push up global food prices uh, around the world. If global emissions continue at the current rate, the Institute warns the world will see twice as many days above the average 86 degrees Fahrenheit.
1: Yeah, hey, uh, Rachel, you have one coming up. But let me just add to an item uh, I wanted to say when I said half a million. A lot of people don't really know what that means. Uh, it's 500,000, first of all. A million is a thousand thousand, So half a million is 500,000. Now, this number a million was bandied about yesterday and the day before by our new president and the press. And, uh, you know, as far as the crowds for his inauguration, apparently were less than half what actually showed up yesterday for the huge protest in Washington, D.C., Um, And, um, well, a million. I asked my dad when I was a little kid back in the 60s, "How, how long would it take you to count to a million? The answer was flabbergasting, and I imagine it will be for many of you. He said, well, you know, maybe a month. Turns out he's right. I mean, if you take a million seconds, okay, it's 10 or 11 days. It's right in there. But hey, a lot of those numbers take longer than a second to say, you know, 347,266, 347,267, et cetera, et cetera. And you know, you got to eat and sleep and go to the bathroom and all those things. So it would take you at least a month to count to just just 1 million. (laughs) And another thing, I remember asking him, how many needles are on our Christmas tree? And he said, well, maybe 45,000, which is, you know, less than a 20th of a million. But anyway, I actually checked it out when we threw our tree finally out into the forest in the back of our house. I took several limbs off of it and I counted every single needle on all the branches and then extrapolated and realized, yeah, he was about right. It's right about 50,000 needles on a Christmas tree, which is nothing compared to one million. So there you go. So
0: there's your, <laughs> your um, alternative fact universe rectified. Thank you so much, Joe. And it sounds like your dad was a really interesting character. Yes, Hopefully he was. we'll learn about in another show. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so my, my story is sort of related to the one you just related to mm-hmm. us. The LA Times is reporting that Trump's White House website has scrubbed all mention of climate change from its pages. Obama's site had a quote under the climate change section, of which there is no longer one. The next day um and obama said someday our children and our children's children will look at us in the eye in a picture i assume and ask us did we do all we could when we had the chance to deal with this problem and leave them a cleaner safer more stable world instead the website now states for too long we have been held back by burdensome regulations on our energy industry The plan further reads, President Trump is committed to eliminating harmful and unnecessary policies such as the Climate Action Plan and the Waters of the U.S. rule.
1: Hmm. By the way, I've been hearing this Waters of the U.S. rule, and I never heard of it before. I mean, is it like the Clean Water Act or something related to
0: that? And you won't hear of it ever again, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) You'll have to look it up on an alternative website. (laughs) Not that one. So we have one more story, and then we're going to get to an interview with someone who's looking at global solutions to global problems, and we're going to be talking about how to cool the Earth in just a moment.
2: Yeah, I'm excited for the interview, but we've got one more news story. Um, While many climate scientists work to predict uh, severe weather events like hurricanes and floods, uh, floods, Science Daily reports that NOAA and Princeton uh, University scientists have produced the first global analysis of how climate change could be affecting our mild weather. The scientists defined mild weather as temperatures between 64 and 86 degrees Fahrenheit with less than half an inch of rain and dew points below 68 degrees Fahrenheit, um, indicative of low humidity. The new research found that by the end of the century, the number of mild days will decrease by 10 or 13 percent due to global warming. The research predicted that the largest decrease in uh, mild weather would be noticed in tropical regions because of heat and humidity. Um, Parts of Africa, Asia, and South America could see 15 to 50 less mild days a year by the end of the century. At the same time, mid-latitudes, including much of the United States, could actually gain between 10 to 15 mild days annually.
0: So lesser mild days, its a double negative, but you can get your brain around more extreme, less mild (laughs) Mild meaning not too hot, not too cold. Um, do we have one more thing to mention and then go to our interview? Joe?
1: Uh, let's see. Um, are you Did you have a particular thing in mind there? No, well, uh, I think
0: you did. You said a very brief uh, book reviewer mentioned oh, yeah, a local yeah, yeah, yeah. author. <clears throat> so yeah, yeah, we have a
1: local author, Bob Staton, who it's a while ago, a few months ago now, he came out with a great new book on the solar revolution and the renewable energy revolution. It's called Power Shift. Let's see, the subtitle is uh, From Fossil Energy to Dynamic Solar Power or something like that. You can get it on Amazon. It's a great read, and it's comprehensive. It's a tour de force. So Power Shift by local author Bob Staten. That's S-T-A-Y-T-O-N.
0: Great. And I'd like yeah. to mention that you can email us questions for the program or for oh, the yeah, guest yeah, yeah. here at Planet uh, RadioPlanetWatch at gmail.com. Yeah, we
1: changed it a little bit from last week. It's Radio Planet Watch. At gmail.com. Yeah.
0: And as we're on the air, we can take your questions. I'd also like to mention that we are streaming live at this moment on video. So <laughs> you want to see um, all the makeup and, you know, costumes <laughs> that we prepared for you for Planet Watch Radio <laughs> and how we really look, uh-oh, um, check out KSCO Santa Cruz, all one word, on Facebook. And if you go there, you will see pictures and eventually we'll have charts and graphs you know if we had been that prepared we might have held it up to the camera and I don't know how, how it works to hold a laptop up to the camera. I'm not sure if that works for um, some of Alan's graphs we're going to see. But um, in the future, we may do experiments on the air. Who knows? Yeah, and
1: just so you know, I had no idea we were going to be on Facebook Live till I got to the studio today. So uh,
0: <laughs> Or we would have, like, anyway. trimmed our beards. Right. I wanted to cut this beard
1: off, but this will be the last view. Maybe.
0: You'll notice I am the only one in the room without one, so now I'm feeling like I did not prepare. <laughs> All right. So we're really excited um, to have our guests in the studio today at Planet Watch. Uh, he's retired from Lockheed Martin after many, many years, 24 years, as senior staff engineer. As you may know, Lockheed is one of the um, largest developers of both weapon systems and also, and you'll probably tell us, all the other kinds of technology they have been responsible for creating over many, many years. They also have a, a local um, center here up in the mountains of Santa Cruz, up in Bonnie Doon, which has got far fewer employees than it once did um, so, Alan Miller came out of Lockheed. He is working on, uh, he's the principal investigator in developing the cold water pipe for them, which was a venture um, called OTEC, Ocean Thermal. Energy, energy conversion Energy conversion thank you <laughs> and we're gonna hear about how that system may be used to actually cool the planet so welcome Alan to the show thank by you the way
1: while here. also generating vast amounts of energy so it's a it's a right. it's a two it's not a double whammy it's the it's a double whatever the opposite of whammy is uh, you get a lot of energy while buying some time on really fighting climate chaos by cooling the upper oceans and the lower atmosphere substantially
0: so let's just start by saying, yes, we're in trouble. The planet is warming much faster than most scientists thought. And um, there's two areas. One is to try to create energy that's clean, that's not creating, contributing to the problem. And the other piece of the challenge puzzle is to try to cool the Earth. And much less has been talked about there. Would you like to just describe how this program that was meant to create energy might actually Cool the planet. How yes. does that work? Be, be glad to
3: Rachel and let, let me say first of all thank you for inviting me on the show and it's a pleasure to be here. Um, second, uh, just in case somebody misunderstands, you're quite correct. I was with Lockheed uh, for 24 years and during the last six years of my work at Lockheed, I was the the technical lead. Uh, developing the cold water pipe for uh, Lockheed's venture into ocean thermal energy conversion, at least the recent venture. The, but I retired from Lockheed in 2014. So let me be clear, the work that I'm now talking about under Cooled Earth has nothing to do with Lockheed Martin Corporation. Great. thank you. Uh, of course, it draws on the experience that I gained there, but that's all. Right. Um, so it's it's interesting that you've mentioned the two uh, categories of uh, what uh, we're all trying to do in terms of avoiding uh, catastrophe in the global warming department. One category being uh, alternative ways to generate energy, photovoltaics, wind, uh, so forth. That's one category. The other broad category is uh, geoengineering, uh, removing carbon dioxide from the air, maybe putting particles up in the atmosphere to absorb sunlight and so forth. Uh, I'm not really advocating those, I'm just trying to categorize. What's interesting is that the approach that I'm about to tell you about, the cool earth approach, is the only one I actually know of that actually does some of both, <laughs> it generates alternative energy while at the same time cooling the atmosphere. Um, and. I guess you want to hear a little bit about where this approach came from. Sure. So I'll try to be really brief. So, as, as you already mentioned, I had a lot of experience in the field of OTEC. And uh, one uh, one study that I learned of is a study that was done by uh, Professor Niehaus from the University of Hawaii a few years ago. Uh, he uh, Somebody asked the question how many of these OTEC plants could you put out in the ocean generating clean energy before you would uh, mess up the the temperature gradients in the ocean on which the process depends. And Niehaus came up with a number of 7 terawatts. So I ask you just hang on to that number for a second. Uh, but the, the second major part of the story is that after I had retired from Lockheed and I was uh, just poking into OTEC a little bit and actually in connection with a course I was auditing, I decided to just find out what does the world know about the effects of ocean upwelling, which of course is a, a key part of the OTEC process. And so I did, uh, you know, where we all start with these subjects, Google. I uh, did a little Google search on ocean upwelling and I, uh, what popped up was a study, it was a series of a couple of papers that had been done by the Geomar Research Institute in Germany, in, in Kiel. And they're a a pretty serious climatological research organization. And they had done a bunch of studies in the category of climate engineering. And one of those studies that they did with one of these big complicated earth system models that climatologists use these days was artificial ocean upwelling. Now, they they were not modeling OTEC at all. They were just asking the question, what would happen climate-wise if we brought up cold water from 1,000 meters down, which is the same depth where OTEC brings it up, that's about 3,000 feet, by the way. Right, by, by coincidence. And interestingly, what their study showed uh, is that it that process dropped the Earth's atmospheric temperature by over 1 degree C. Um, and at that point, a little light bulb went on in my head. I said, okay, the people at GMR say if you upweld cold water, the, the rate they picked was 1 centimeter per day, but over pretty much the whole ocean. Uh, you drop the atmospheric temperature by over one degree C, and Professor Niehaus at the University of Hawaii says we can build seven terawatts of OTEC plants, and the little light bulb that went on in my head a couple of years ago is: I wonder how those two quantities or those two rates of cold water upwelling compare against each other. And I had no idea what the answer would be, but I calculated them, and wouldn't you know it, it turns out those two numbers are almost exactly the same number. So what that says is if the world builds 7 terawatts of OTEC plants, which Niehaus says is okay, it'll generate 7 terawatts of electricity on the ocean. And a rather nice byproduct of that is that it will decrease the average surface atmosphere temperature of the Earth by about 1.1 C. And that's why I put it in this category of a process that could generate a whole lot of green energy and also directly cool down the atmosphere at the same time.
1: By the way, uh, just interjecting for our listeners, uh, a degree centigrade, a little over one degree centigrade is just about two degrees Fahrenheit, which more people are familiar with. Uh, you know, deg- degrees centigrade are a little under twice the size, so to speak, of degrees Fahrenheit. Also, when he's talking about terawatts, it sounds a lot like pterodactyls, but, um, you know, those are the ancient dinos- flying dinosaurs. A tera is a trillion, you know, like a mega is a million, a kilo is a thousand, a uh, Billion is a giga, Well, a tera is a trillion, which is a million, million, (laughs) and each of those millions is a thousand, thousand. So it's a thousand, 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 thousand watts of power, not energy, but actually power, the rate of energy production.
0: Thanks for the context there. So we did have um, already our first listener question came in through Facebook, which um, we are streaming live on. And um, Daniel wrote in... um, He thought it was great in theory to generate seven terawatts of energy. How about the practical application based on levelized costs that compare to existing renewables? Have you done that calculation?
3: Yes, as a matter of fact. All right. Uh, And the the case that I use for comparison is a uh, a very nice study that was done by uh, Professor Paul Jacobson and his students at Stanford. Um, And they've been doing a series of studies over the years of what would it take to stop generating all energy from fossil fuels and instead replace that all by wind, wave and solar. So uh, Jacobson calls this the the WWS solution. And uh, within roughly the last year, Jacobson and his students, uh, they initially applied it to the U.S., and within the last year they've applied the same approach to the entire world. And what they came up with was if you convert all the world's energy needs into wind, wave and solar, the levelized cost of electricity will be, uh, it's about 11 and a half cents per kilowatt hour, um, which is, uh, you know, not all I bad.
0: That's what we're paying now for PTE. Right. Right. <laughs> right, and so,
3: so to answer your question, though, uh, for the, uh, I'm going to refer to it as the cool it earth approach because that's a lot shorter than anything else I might choose to call it. Um, I've cranked out the same number for the there, cool earth approach. Since the cool earth approach, of course, as I said, is based on uh, OTEC. Uh, there have been a lot of studies over the years of design of OTEC plants and what will they cost and what will it cost to operate them and so forth. And I was able to use all those numbers to crank out what would the levelized cost of electricity be generated by the the O-tech approach, building and learning curves and, and so forth. And it turns out to be almost exactly the same number. It was, uh, you know, 11 point something cents per kilowatt hour. A- importantly, that's without any subsidy, sure. without any incentive payments. Now, um, I'll, I'll just very briefly toss something out there. Uh, if you build a, a lot of wind, wave, and solar, you've generated green energy, but you haven't directly cooled the planet, other, other than avoiding putting putting CO2. in the You mean those windmills turning? Don't act <laughs> like fans cooling they, us they all a, off. They actually don't. They actually <laughs> kind don't. Of the opposite, actually. right? The the cool at Earth approach, as I said before, not only generates the green energy, but it actually uh, would help cool the planet, and I lead, uh, that, that leads directly to the concept that uh incentive payments could be provided by the world's governing agencies that are in charge of um, trying to mitigate global warming uh and and one context that i've used is the uh the carbon fee and dividend approach that's being advocated by citizens climate lobby and they've done a study of uh, what would be reasonable carbon fee rates and what economic benefits might those produce so i've just used the uh, ccl carbon fee and dividend rates but said well instead of charging people who are going to put co2 in the atmosphere we're now going to pay people who are in effect or or, or accomplishing the same goal as pulling co2 out of the atmosphere but but through the equivalent of decreasing the temperature and the short answer turns out to be that if you use only one sixth of the incentive rate that you might derive from this Uh, you can cut the levelized cost of electricity in half.
0: A lot of people would like to see their bills go down, I'm sure. (laughs) Joe has a question.
3: Yeah, quick uh, back back to the big picture. Uh, We haven't yet actually
1: made clear quite what OTEC is other than explaining the acronym ocean thermal energy conversion and it's basically using the temperature difference between the sun warmed surface layers of the ocean and the cold depths of the ocean wherever there's a delta t a difference in temperature you can harness useful energy and of course alan can tell us more about the details of just how we do that but want to make sure all our listeners are oriented so that we know what we're talking about here basically
0: that's really a good point and you know just try to get us to picture because it is radio um what is uh, one of these platforms actually? How is it constructed and how deep does it go? Just give us a little bit of a snapshot of short Sure.
3: One. Well, in terms of a platform, uh, think of something that's maybe roughly on the size of an offshore oil platform. Um, companies like Lockheed have done a lot of studies as to essentially how much electricity do you need to generate from an OTEC plant before it's economically viable. And the, the number that has been used a lot is 100 megawatts as kind of an economically viable OTEC plant. Other people have uh, have said, well maybe we can go up to four hundred megawatts and so I've I've tried to well, I have, in fact, kept the plants to 400 megawatts. And just for reference there, a big coal plant or some nukes are roughly
1: 1,000 megawatts, right, uh, right, a right. gigawatt, a billion right. watts.
3: Right. So picture, uh, of course, as has uh, been mentioned, uh, to make OTEC work, and as Joe just said, you're taking advantage of the temperature gradients in the ocean between the surface and 1,000 meters down. That means an OTEC plant, or uh, the bottom of the cold water pipe, needs to reach 1,000-meter m- depth. So you've got two choices now. Uh, you can conveniently build a plant on land uh, in which case your cold water pipes going to have to run down the ocean bottom slope and it could easily be four or five times as long as it might be if you do what everybody else thinks is a sensible thing to do which is have your OTEC plant be floating so your cold water pipe can just go straight down to the 1,000 meter depth and be 1,000 meters long. So picture something roughly the size of an offshore oil platform with this big pipe hanging down 1,000 meters. Um, Just to give you another scale uh, idea, the challenge involves uh, for a 100 megawatt OTEC plant, that cold water pipe uh, needs to not only be 1,000 meters long, but it needs to be 10 meters in diameter. So as I, uh, sometimes. What does that
0: compare to in our actual lives? Can you well, we picture that?
3: Yeah, as I as I used to tell people when I gave a talk, I, I told them I'm I'm a former New Yorker. Uh, hopefully you can't hear that. Uh, I hear <laughs> it. Nothing. I hear it. Be proud. Be proud. <laughs> okay. New <Yorker>. uh, so <laughs> a thousand meters is two and a quarter Empire State Buildings, and ten meter diameter is uh, you could take the house that I grew up in and put it inside the pipe. Wow. Uh, and the other number that's kind of interesting is the amount of water that's flowing up through this pipe for one plant is roughly one sixth of the average flow over Niagara Falls. Wow. So there's a lot of lot of mm. water getting upwelled mm. by an OTEC plant.
0: Absolutely. And so there's no chance of getting clogged by barnacles because it's so big; it would never, you know, be filled in by creatures inhabiting it or, you know, other things that happen to ship hulls and probably offshore oil rigs and. When they contact water, there's a lot of life that likes to attach to them. Would that clog the pipe eventually, even if it is the size of the Empire State Building, or is it just going to be a thin veneer of barnacles? Uh,
3: they, well, first of all, there'd be an intake screen over the bottom, okay. which would filter out anything large. Now, you know, little stuff still gets in there and it would probably just get, you know, processed by the pumps and come out the other end.
0: You wouldn't get Sylvia Earle or any deep sea divers stuck in there? I hope not. <laughs> I hope not too. <laughs> um, so as Joe was trying to explain to the audience, the, the uptake of cold water and, and you said these would be at the tropics, would be filtering up. Is it like an elevator? Is it fast that this water is raising up through the column, this empire two Empire State Building-sized pipe?
3: Yeah, the number is about 4 meters per second. So again, think of that as maybe 15 feet per second, which is, uh, you know, a pretty good clip.
0: Yeah, and that's what generates the electricity. So yeah, so
3: the cold water comes up, and, and as Joe mentioned, the warm water comes in from the surface. Mm-hmm. And uh, so what happens is uh, there's ammonia, that's the working fluid in an OTEC plant, Um, And the warm water from the surface goes through a heat exchanger, exchanges its heat with the ammonia, boils the ammonia and the pressure of the boiling ammonia, the ammonia vapor, is high enough t- to spin a turbine, and that's where the electricity comes from. And then all you have to do is cool off all this low-pressure ammonia vapor coming out of the turbine so you can condense it back into liquid water so you have a closed cycle, and that's where all that cold water uh, comes in. It's, uh, it goes through a second heat exchanger, the condenser, which is on this uh, platform, and that, that's how you condense the, the ammonia back to uh, liquid ammonia.
0: And did you tell us how many of these plants would be needed to cool the Earth the couple degrees you mentioned?
3: I, I didn't mention it, but I'm glad you asked. Um, only 20,000.
0: Is that <laughs> all? Right. <laughs>
3: <laughs> at, at, four, at 400 megawatts each, which I said is maybe the... Kind of the largest size we might want to be talking about now. How and many
0: oil platforms do we have now? Like just to compare, what what have we built? What does that actually match to in our world of building twenty thousand anything large?
3: um You know, I don't have an answer for you. I'm sorry. On how okay. many oil so I can just I you give a I can just give a swag
1: estimate, of <laughs> somebody's wild-ass guess. Swag. <laughs> you fly over the Gulf of Mexico, you know, coming into Houston, and there's easily a hundred of them out there. So I don't know, a couple hundred
3: hundred <laughs> would be twenty thousand. <laughs> So I, I guess it, it sounds like a huge number, and it is a huge number. Um, but of course, uh, cooling the cr- cooling the Earth off and avoiding global warming is a, is a pretty big job.
0: Yeah, it indeed is. And we
3: it? are installing half
1: a million solar panels, actually, as of a year ago. A day, of course, they're a lot smaller than OTEC plants, but. You know, that's we're how we're many are out a lot either?
0: of cars every day, too. I mean, right, we're turning right, right. out mass, you know, of everything. And the Car. other thing
1: along those lines, I want to say just before I forget a lot of people are already probably thinking, well, this is geoengineering big time. This is horrible. Uh, well, you know what? We're already geoengineering the hell out of the Earth. It's really bad. We're engin- geoengineering this planet. we got to do it in a good way if we're going to do it. And this might be... And by the way, there are tons of possible problems that we're just beginning to explore here. And we get them, you know, all over the place, even just in this region. But... Uh, We're going to have public events where Alan's going to be speaking, and enabling anybody to raise whatever objections they have publicly, not just hide behind keyboards, you know, trying to poke holes at everything. And anyway, it'll be we'll do our best to get the truth out there and see if this idea is what it's cracked up to be. So
3: more on the idea. (laughs) Yeah, thank you, John. I guess I guess that reminds me of something I'd like to say. Uh, uh, Kind of picking up on the question of 20,000 OTEC plants isn't that a bit much? Um, I'm an engineer. And I'm coming into this from the point of view that there's a job to be done here, namely mitigating global warming. And uh, this is my own point of view. I think a lot of people will probably agree with it. The question is not for any one process, whether it's good or bad. I mean, there are obviously some really bad things what people could think of that we shouldn't do. But for a process, that's not obviously bad. It's not then a question of, of whether it's good. It's really a question of whether it's a better solution than other solutions that can solve the same problem.
0: And Uh, this one seems to have two benefits. It generates energy and it cools the planet. And there aren't that many out there, just to name a few, some of which scare me to death. You know, there have been suggestions of putting giant umbrellas, you know, kind of reflectors up above the earth in satellite formation to deflect the sun. Um, But what would still be happening is CO2 would be still building up in the environment. And the oceans would be acidifying continually. And then, if you took them away, um, the heating might accelerate. So, it seems like the worst of band-aids, that one. And the other was the aerosolization of sulfur particles to mimic Mount Pinatubo-type uh, eruptions. And that scares me because it's also a band-aid effect: that you might cool the earth, but you would make the skies gray. Yeah. <laughs> That's really sad. Would we trade blue skies for um, desperate solutions? And the other is that you'd have to keep seeding the atmosphere continually with airplanes. Yeah, now, a country use- might decide to do this on their own. Anyone could go up in a plane with sulfur and, and put it up there. but um,
1: A lot of money. costs a lot of need, money to do that. seems like
0: we need to be making global decisions if there's going to be global solutions. And this is where it gets tricky. We're not that great at you know coming up with something everyone agrees on <laughs> at all and then that we can implement that people can live with the consequences of this one seems like the least of the <laughs> damaging ones yeah. I've heard Just well
3: Rachel picking up on that I mean I you're absolutely right we are terrible probably at making global solutions uh, or s- certainly terrible at picking particular technologies that we ought to be implementing to solve global warming and uh, somehow The world has to figure that out Now, right now it's happening on a a pretty kind of a small incremental scale. Mm -hmm. Uh, Photovoltaics are are well known so it's pretty easy for companies to uh, get into the market and then get a market share by uh, cheaper ways of manufacturing photovoltaics, similarly with wind. So these are uh, essentially known technologies and of course I'm glad to see that they're being implemented more and more. Um, but if you talk about a technology that's never been used before, specifically for mitigating global warming, uh, how the world even starts considering that possibility, or how, how I, as one you know, just one person trying to help out here. well, I have a, actually I have a team of 10 others that are working with me. I want to say that. that's really important. But how we, as a very small team, can get those ideas across to the people in the world who might be interested in thinking about them let alone funding them, that's probably the biggest challenge right now is getting the ideas across.
0: Right, and so we have um, various organizations worldwide focusing on this, um, but none just solely on mitigating global warming. So it's interesting to see how that will pick up traction. Um, Have you thought about going to other countries with your ideas? Is that something you're doing, trying to get um, funding and traction and someone to put it into development? Is that the next phase for you as far as beyond the idea phase
3: well i I will i will say this um i mean i've you know i'm sort of trying to think of everything that might help this make a contribution to mitigating global warming if you think about what's happening in the world right now uh, the united states seems to have seeded the leadership in attacking global warming and i'll leave names of the uh, people who've <laughs> taken those actions out of this conversation, uh, China seems very happy to be picking up the ball uh, on leading the charge on mitigating global warming. Uh, China, of course, itself has huge needs for alternative energy. China, of course, has a huge smog problem caused by all of their coal-fired electric uh, power plants. And so so I, as, to answer your question, have I thought of other countries that uh, might... Uh, help uh, might make use of this uh, i guess i'd have to say frankly i think china could make excellent use of this approach uh, am i talking to anybody in china about this no do <laughs> i do i know the right people in china to talk to about this no if anybody out there in radio land knows who i ought to be talking to in china please uh, let me know <laughs> yeah we'll
1: find him. we'll find him if it's a-
3: how, how do we find out relatively quickly
1: whether this idea is worthwhile and and won't cause disasters can we do a few of these plants and sort of see how it goes and you know get enough data to then really in an intelligent way extrapolate to okay on a large scale this
3: is fairly benign or not How I, I, do, we do i, I think there's sort of two uh, two stages in, in the answer um i guess in engineering i'd f- say first go after the low-hanging fruit um, in putting together this approach, I've you know done the best job I can do as, as one engineer, uh, and I've as I said I've got ten other people have now joined the Cool at Earth team and are ready to pick up the ball and do work once we raise some initial funds to to pay them. I, I'm really I don't really care about getting paid, but uh, I don't want to bring other people in and not pay them. Um, so the the first uh, step, in, to answer your question, is to do essentially the next level. Engineering study. Uh, I've, I've uh, been able to identify uh, major questions and major tasks to be done in the areas of expertise of each of these ten people. So that would be the next stage. Do you know a serious, uh, peer-reviewed study, uh, and then only after that, probably putting just one large OTEC plant in the water. A beta test,
0: as they call them, yeah. Right. Um, So we just have a few more minutes left of the interview, but I wanted to invite people, if they had a question for Alan Miller, our guest here. He's with Cool It Earth. A company that has designed a way that looks very promising to cool ocean bring cool ocean waters up to the surface in the tropics and possibly cool the planet a couple of degrees, something that is sorely needed. If you have a question, you can get in touch with us at radioplanetwatch at gmail.com. And Joe, hopefully you have it up on your screen well, there.
1: Yeah, I don't see anything yet. Um but I have a question. Uh the energy that we're getting. It's electricity, right? And of course some people might say, well, wait a minute, what are you gonna do? Try to wire power from the mid-ocean to the shore well no but um say how we would yeah, get the electricity we're that, talking electricity that, that, how do we, a, do we do
3: that yes that's a really good question and to have you know twenty thousand OTEC plants they will be distributed around the ocean uh they're not going to be close enough to shore to plug them into the grid the concept is not my concept it's actually been a, a familiar concept in the field of otech uh, you use the electrical energy on the plants to manufacture ammonia And why ammonia? Because ammonia is, as you know, NH3, the nitrogen comes out of the air, the hydrogen comes out of the water. So you've got the ability to manufacture, essentially, an energy carrier out of the raw materials that are already out there on the ocean. Uh, You put the ammonia on tankers, pretty standard tanker. You you send them across the water into into ports. You transfer the ammonia into a pipeline. You distribute the ammonia through, uh, there are already existing pipeline networks to the place where the ammonia will then be burned or otherwise used perhaps in fuel cells to actually use its energy. Now, there there are a few more details uh, in there that I'm not going to try to explain due to our limited airtime. I do want to uh, say one thing, though, that I think uh, where where you can get all the answers, um, there's a rather large presentation uh, that I've created. Uh, fortunately, the, the, the beginning of it is a pretty short uh, summary of it all. So it's divided up into readable sections, and I've put that out uh, at a url a dropbox location uh and it's uh, publicly available and you can, so anybody who uh, contacts the station sends in your email address um i'll be happy to send you the link to that uh, presentation and you and and uh, these you can get your questions answered and and contact me if you have more questions would you okay. like
0: to give your email out is that okay
3: um You want want to send it to me directly?
0: Um, Well, we could do that. Or I would also say that this report is up on Planet Watch Radio on Facebook. So that's another way, and then you can reach Alan. Dr. Miller, thank you for being here with us today on Planet Watch. It's been a really interesting conversation. I look forward to hearing how your project progresses over time.
3: Rachel, it's been a pleasure to be here. Thanks to you. Thanks to Joe. Thanks to Tommy. Uh, Thanks to KSCO.
0: Thanks for being here. Yeah,
3: and more better later. More better
0: later. <laughs> all right. Dr. Ellen Miller of Cool It Earth, our guest here on Planet Watch. And we, in the last few minutes of the show, we're going to move to some other small tidbits that might enrich your day. And we really want to appreciate all the people who, and people who have been interacting with us on Facebook. We are streaming live at KSCO Santa Cruz on Facebook. So if you want to see what Joe Jordan and I look like without having prepared makeup, <laughs> you can check us out and also listen online at kSEo.com. Oh. So coming up next, we have some quizzes. So get your brain on a little bit to see if you can answer. We had an experiment uh, homework. This is like one of those things on science radio that you get. And if you were listening at all, it's okay if you weren't. Um, we had a little experiment you could oh, do. Yeah. And Tommy, I think you tried it.
1: Oh, yeah. You did. Yeah, it. The Explain pool. the experiment real quick. And, and then, did you get it right? By the way, Sky, I got I, your email, and uh, I'll answer you later, or we'll get you together with Alan But uh, <laughs> on the email. Sorry. Okay, so go, Tom. So I was wrong. It did not decrease, like I said last week. Well, tell yeah, everybody what, tell the what the experiment was. Experiment was. Oh, well, I'll, I'll set Package. it up. Yeah, you okay. take a glass of water, you put a couple ice cubes in it, which, of course, raises the water level. Then you mark the new water level, and you go away for an hour or two. Let all the ice melt. What happens to the water level? Three possibilities. It goes up, stays the same, or goes down. And we won't embarrass Tommy any further. <laughs> we put him <laughs> on the spot last to. week, and he that's what interns uh, but, are for. But, didn't but, you know? <laughs> but at least he did his homework. And what did you find? I did not
2: find that it decreased, like I said last week. I actually found that it stayed the same instead of,
1: decreasing mm-hmm. or increasing Which and, and
0: the reason we brought this up is a lot of people will do that experiment and say see if the ice shelves melt we won't raise sea levels at all see I can <laughs> Yeah, so, it.
1: so that's an important <laughs> thing about this whole climate business uh melting of floating ice does not raise sea level there are two main things that raise sea level and one of them used to be more minor but it's become now the major one and that is the melting of ice that's in the great ice sheets and glaciers all over the world and that water runs into the ocean so that's like adding extra water to the glass the other thing is the thermal expansion of the upper layers of the seawater when water heats it actually expands a little bit and worldwide that's enough to you know Sinkhole whole island nations like the Maldives in the Indian Ocean. So, uh, anyway, and it's Archimedes' principle, which we can talk about later, is kind of what explains, but basically a floating object displaces its own weight in the, in the water. So, so it makes a, a hole in the water, which when you melt the ice whose top extends above the water level, it shrinks down to exactly fill that hole. So that's one way of looking at it.
0: Very cool. Yeah. So um, that was last week's and the answer, um, <laughs> so we're going to give you a little fun party tricks you can try to demonstrate your science knowledge um and the next one for this week joe did you have one for us that will challenge our brain cells a little bit
1: yeah and and maybe next week if we really got this facebook live thing going we can demonstrate it but i'll give you a this is totally amazing totally fun for kids and adults take a all too abundant one of those coke or whatever you know uh plastic water or soda bottles you know get it all dry hold it sideways ball up a little tiny bit of toilet paper and stick it right in the entrance in the hole to the bottle just so it's just about to fall into the bottle but hold the bottle still. then you know challenge your friends can you blow this piece of paper into the bottle and nobody can do it you can't do it you blow on it as hard as you want or as softly and slowly and sneakily as you want and it always comes right out of the bottle <laughs> and that's an example of fluid dynamics in action for you. it's really really cool so you got to do that that's your home yeah, that's your fun homework for the week
0: and then recycle the bottle <laughs> right, <you> right right
1: right <laughs> and don't buy any more of those anymore they <laughs> get, yeah. get permanent bottles you know for All your right.
0: drink get one of those fizzy water uh, machines in your house okay so the what are we calling that the the blow into the bottle and it's not a breathalyzer test Uh, so (laughs) you will you won't fail that one so blow into a bottle trick and if you come up with uh, you told them the answer though now didn't you <laughs> oh damn well do it, d- d- <laughs> do tell, it me anyway. okay. tell me if
1: i'm right. lying tell me if i'm lying that's your homework
0: see if you can disprove <laughs> joe jordan the scientist from nasa all right next time we won't we won't spoil the ending but um speaking of spoilers which we won't do um joe jordan having worked at nasa for many many years had a special relationship to the movie that's now mm. the top grossing film um in coming out of hollywood um this month and it also Got many Golden Globe Award. It's called Hidden Figures. I've not seen it, but Joe, you, um as a NASA and em- former NASA employee must have had a particular take on this movie hidden figures tell yeah, us the brief but, synopsis and what you thought of
1: it yeah but it cheapens it a little bit to, to say that well okay i'm recommending because i worked at nasa this is a movie for everybody in fact it's the one of the best movies ever made it's and the thing it's one of my it's my favorite genre it's these amazing inspiring true stories turns out that back in the early days of the space program the guys who we shot into space uh they got there um because a bunch of African-American women did these calculations by hand, you know, while they were still getting their first IBM 7090 computer. <laughs> and they are the real unsung heroes. And I worked at NASA for, I don't know, twenty over 25 years. I never heard of this. And I'll bet you most of my colleagues never heard of this. And it was just an amazing and wonderful, and it's just a movie that moves you deeply to watch, whether or not you have any connections to NASA, but it did bring back a lot of memories. I remember sitting on my elementary school cafeteria floor, you know, waiting for, you know, watching Alan Shepard go on our first suborbital flight. And then there was a the tense moment when John Glenn had to have his orbit cut from, his uh, his flight cut from seven orbits, the Earth to three, because of an emergency with a heat shield. And there was this tense 20-minute period where he went out of radio contact nobody knew if he was going to make it and all these things but you know it's i was going to do this originally on martin luther king day but instead did it on inauguration day for the specific reason that it honors african-american women and what they did for us and for the world (laughs) so go see it hidden figures fantastic movie
0: And, and you know All the marches and and all of the protests. Um, There were a lot of African-American women up on stage in the D.C. march um, talking about wanting to be seen and and acknowledged. And I I think of movies like Standing in the Shadow of Motown where the backup singers were kind of the ones that made these people so famous and never got acknowledged by their names. Oh, yeah. Similar kind of story. Um, So I'm hoping we're turning the tide in a way on all of these forgotten people by making whole movies about them mm. perhaps hey Rachel
1: can I take 10 seconds uh, just one last thing on Alan Miller he talked about seven terawatts and we explained a little bit about what that is but putting it in perspective the human race right now the whole of humanity is using energy at a rate of roughly what 15 trillion watts 15 terawatts yes. Yes, so, roughly that's roughly 15. It, so that's so that's almost half of
3: you know I, I should I should actually though uh, give you a very uh, a quick correction not so much a correction i just forgot to say this 7 terawatts is what you would generate out there in the ocean of the otec plants by the time you take that uh electricity make it into ammonia and then burn the ammonia in thermal power plants on land you've only got 2.6 terawatts uh, but that's still a pretty significant contribution yeah, to the out of 15 out of 15 total yeah. yeah
0: okay thank you for that extra bit. So in our final segment here, um, we're going to do some milestones um, and some various tidbits that um, you might want to enjoy right in your own life. Um, We try to bring this down to earth as well. We're talking about big solutions to giant problems, but we're also hopefully giving you some ways to connect with the cosmos and tap Joe Jordan's um, hugely depthful knowledge about the skies. So he's going to give us a couple of um planetary and terrestrial (laughs) milestones well
1: one of them i should better say it quick because it's already a week later than last week when it had already happened but uh believe it or not the latest sunrise of the year is not on the winter solstice in fact it's at our latitude it's about two weeks later than the winter (laughs) solstice it's in early january like january 7th or 8th or so So that happened, well, last week it was only a week ago. Now it's two weeks ago. But it's two weeks after the winter solstice. And likewise, on the other side, the earliest sunset happens two weeks before the winter solstice. And you have a similar kind of mirror image kind of thing in the summer. And I'll just say, I mean, the reason why it boils down essentially in one half sentence to the fact that the Earth's orbit around the sun is not circular, but elliptical, which means we travel at different speeds. And we're when we're closest to the sun, as we are pretty much right now in January, believe it or not, we're 4 million miles closer to the sun now than in July, we're traveling a little faster around the sun. So it appears to move among the constellations a little faster than it does in July when we're farthest from the sun. So that, and then you can explain more about how that relates to time, solar time versus clock time, et cetera. Oh, I'm yeah.
3: sure glad to hear that's not due to global warming.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's I not due to mind. global warming. Okay. Uh, another interesting thought <laughs> about what you just said, there's another kind of a solstice um, that other people observe, which is the temperature solstice. If you look at the average temperatures, um, at least you know in our part of the world, um, they actually start turning around to being warmer a little bit later than right on the winter solstice. So if you look at average temperatures... Hmm. There's a differential. They're a little bit later, in, at least here in California. If you track weather um, records hmm. for when warmer days start happening, hmm. it's not exactly on the winter yeah, solstice. Well. It's a, it, it might be later, lighter, later, sorry, as we go, but it's, it's also warmer yeah. slightly a couple weeks after the solstice, huh. which just huh. a little side it fact, even has though I'm do. not a scientist. <laughs> I like to contribute to It probably
1: this. has something to do with the oceans, I would bet. Uh, can I do one more puzzle about water? Sure. Okay, well, hey, imagine you have a box, a meter on a side, a cube, a cubic meter. Fill it with water. How much does that weigh? You, you know, many of you have probably had the joys of backpacking, and you know that carrying water is kind of a pain in the, you know what, I mean, it's heavy stuff. But imagine a cubic meter of water. You want to know how much it weighs? I mean, I could put it till next week, yeah, but yeah, I'm going to tell, tell you now, okay? <laughs> we'll forget next week. don't
0: make you work very hard on <laughs> the <it. Yeah>.
1: show. <laughs> okay, it's a metric tonne. That's 2,200 pounds. It's 1,000 kilograms. Each kilogram is 2.2 pounds, so 1,000 kilograms is 2,200 pounds. That's a metric ton. The regular old ton that we talk about, I think, is referred to as a short ton, 2,000 pounds. Anyway, that's how much a cubic meter of water weighs. So that's pretty amazing. And speaking (laughs) of cubes, one more for you, Uh, just so you know what we're up against in the world. The world now consumes, burns approximately a CMO of oil a year you know what a cmo it, it's you a know. cubic mile of oil the world goes through a cubic mile of oil per year now
0: so convert so, that metric uh, ton yeah, yeah, yeah. upward to
1: <laughs> and uh, oh i just wanted to say something about extraordinarily high winds that were in the sierra a couple of weeks ago uh during storm n minus two from now uh they had winds that were up to 150 miles an hour up near the top uh, not sustained a hurricane is 75 mile an hour sustained winds but anyway that's pretty impressive
0: okay so now that you're going skiing you need to get your windbreaker out <laughs> in, case you in case you go again and if you're not listening in california um the sierra mountains are where we get <laughs> most of our water from in california at least the north part of the state all of the runoff um, from the snowpack Which is interesting because California is just starting to come out of a pretty major drought. We got declared drought-free for most of our state after, yes, uh, amazingly um, prolific rains. Um, But because some of these storms are kind of pineapple expresses coming in this river of water from Hawaii, a lot of it's not falling as snow in the lower lower elevations, thus not being stored as snowpack. So while it's great news for aquifers and recharge, it's also... um, not as long-term great news unless we can get colder storms, which we have no control. But if you're trying to connect that to the global weather patterns and make a observation about the changing dynamics of California's weather, you don't need to look much further than this river of water coming at us, which is quite warm. Mm-hmm. So let, let's look forward to skiing at the higher elevations <laughs> for a while and hope that it lowers as, as the rest of the winter goes on. We have just a few more minutes left, exactly two. So if you have one more thought to leave us with, Joe, um, we can fit that in um, before the end of the program. Um, And again, we have an email. You can reach us. And we have a Facebook page. This is Planet Watch, a new show about big solutions to big problems. And I'm Rachel Ann Goodman along with Joe Jordan.
1: And I got one for you. We're all in the prime of life now. Uh, This year, 2017, is a prime number, meaning (laughs) you can't divide it by anything other than itself or one. And I was thinking, you know, there are twin primes where you have consecutive odd numbers both being prime, like, you know, uh, 11 and 13 and so on. Um, And I was thinking, well, maybe two years from now, 2019, will be a prime. But nope, it's not a prime, (laughs) and I'll leave it as a homework assignment for you to figure out what (laughs) integer divides it. But anyway, we're in the prime of life now, so happy 2017. Happy 2017. And uh, yeah,
0: you know, a lot of those marchers yesterday just didn't seem to look at this year as that prime of uh, prime year. So maybe they can turn that around, make well, it the best year ever. Definitely look, made me
1: feel better. It's it's looking good to me when I, you know, you get out there and you feel the love, you feel the power. You know, it yeah. it was amazing. I wasn't even gonna go. I was gonna drop some friends off and i just got sucked into it it was it was so amazing they're
0: saying 3 million people in the united states alone marched wow. and there were 750,000 in los angeles and what i found interesting was all the signs that said climate change is real or science is real. That, yeah, that, yeah. <laughs> that was both heartening and frightening that people feel science is under attack and that's why they made signs that weren't even about you know, women's yeah. rights, they were about science.
3: So we're fighting back here in a friendly way. Yeah, Alan? Rachel, uh, yeah, I went down to the Santa Cruz uh, march and it was impressive just how many people just got out there felt strongly enough about it that they lent themselves for the afternoon and it, it, it was really impressive.
0: That's right. Well we thank you for tuning in to Planet Watch. I'm Rachel Ann Goodman.
1: Thank you all and keep an eye on the Sky, this is Joe, Joe Jordan, Cosmic Joe.
0: (laughs) We'll be back next week. I'm Rachel Ann Goodman. Thanks for listening. Hi, Tommy.
1: (laughs) Bye bye. Bye. live in a world surrounded by 3.8 billion years of evolutionary
3: history and it's providing us with a living library of nature-inspired design solutions to all kinds of challenges. I'm Jim Metzner and this
1: is The Pulse of the Planet.
4: I think going forward in this century there are myriad sort of big problems that human beings will face. One in particular is access to water. Biology has a host of amazing ways of managing, filtering, procuring water for its own use and consumption. If we're able to somehow learn from those processes and translate those through engineering and design, we could end up solving for some of the most basic human needs that people face. Brooke
1: Kennedy is an associate professor of industrial design at Virginia Tech.
4: And just to give you an example... Some students had looked very closely at some spider webs on a local running path on a foggy day and had observed how these spider web fibers were also very good at converting the fog water into water droplets, and wondered, is there some way we could recreate this effect on more of an architectural scale in emulation of these spiders to create drinking water? I'm working with some collaborators in engineering and trying to sort of optimize the geometry of these fibers in such a way to increase the efficiency of fog water collection. So it's still in the works, but we're very optimistic that we're moving towards creating something that could really bring drinking water, especially to communities that have none in certain parts of the world that are both very dry and also coastal.
1: We'll hear more about bio-inspired designs in future programs. I'm Jim Metzner, and this is The Pulse of the Planet.